when I'm styling women, I always feel like it's always the imposter syndrome of the true self-expression of who we are, right? On how we present ourselves physically. So when you say keep it appropriate, how do you manage that line? And for you, how do you know what's appropriate versus what's not? Because this is where I think people bump up against humor and being like the entertainer versus being the professor and being the teacher. I already knew public speaking is a fear for many, but it really sets you up for a lot of opportunities in life when you realize most people in the audience are just so grateful that you're the one on stage because they do not want to be up there. Julia, thank you so much for coming on the Style for Life podcast. I'm super excited to get to know you better and to chat today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I've loved li- listening to some episodes and I'm excited to be a part of it. Awesome. Guys, I'm so excited for today's episode because as you know, humor is a big, important piece of the life and something I always try to bring to the podcast, whether we're talking about mindset or style or self-improvement or whatever it is. So I'm super excited to have Julia on the show. Super quick intro and Julia, you can add anything you want here, but Julia is an award-winning storyteller. Um, she's made an impact and probably some good jokes at companies like Gannett, E! News, Paramount, and now she's at Nextdoor. And in her free time, what I really want to know more about Julia is she performs at improv comedy shows and does storytelling around LA. And we're going to dig into that today around finding like your unique voice and really the art of storytelling and ultimately the art of connection. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Katie. Yeah. And that's my story uh, in a nutshell. I've worked in journalism, entertainment, so a few different fields. I do corporate by day and comedy by night. And I've been fortunate to be able to find more ways to kind of blend those two things together over the years of my career. Ah, I love it. I love it so much. Um, So I have to tell the quick backstory because getting on LinkedIn was a huge thing for me this year is... When I had lost my job in 2020, I essentially lost my whole identity of being like this corporate woman. And LinkedIn was something I had hard stuff on because it felt like it was just a place to go to find a new job. So three years of being an entrepreneur, I had totally was like, I'm never getting on LinkedIn. You're never going to get me on LinkedIn. And I finally got back on in August and you were one of the first accounts. And honestly, I don't even remember how I came across your account. But your content was so amazing and it felt so real. And I felt like you really do an amazing job of my real issue with LinkedIn was like, it's not fun. And I think you make LinkedIn fun, valuable, insightful. So I'm super juicy to get into that today because what you were saying about corporate by day and humor by night, I think you've done an amazing job at blending that. And I think that's a powerful story to share as a way shower for the show. I appreciate that, Katie. Yeah. And I, uh, LinkedIn was never my top social media choice in years past. Um, but I ended up there for a few different reasons. Of course, it's more common these days. You know, I'm a millennial that will hold many different careers and different roles over time. So I think it's good to always be a little active to, you know, build out a personal brand to see where your, your future career takes you. Um, And actually the current role I'm in right now is a role that came to me because a recruiter found me on LinkedIn. So it was something where I wasn't necessarily looking to 
make the leap to a new company or into a different sector, but someone found me because of the content I was posting and we got to chatting. And the more I went through the interview process, I really found a role that sounded appealing to me for the next step in my career. So um, there's been other good things that have come out of LinkedIn, but that's one specific of I was able to level up my next career step just from someone finding me from my content on there. So that alone has made it well worth the effort. And proves that you can just really be yourself and find the next phase of the career, the business, whatever it is. So that's what I think is really powerful about you and your story. So I wanted to, I mean, I have to just like dive right in. How'd you get into improv comedy? Like, this is all I want to know. <laughs> well, I grew up as a comedy fan. You know, I'm someone who is sneaking stand-up specials and SNL at too young of an age and always just like, you know, loved Loved watching comedy, loved trying out my own comedy on, uh, you know, the schoolyard to friends and family. And uh, initially, my first career in my early 20s was as a newspaper reporter in New Jersey, which, you know, was a really great career to start with. It was a very challenging job and I learned a lot and everything seemed easier <laughs> since having a role like that to start my career. Um, but I, I still enjoyed comedy and I kind of got in on the ground floor of listening to podcasts before podcasts kind of, you know, blew up a bit and became a bit more commonplace. And it seemed like more of an underground thing. So I was listening to a lot of comedy podcasts in my free time to kind of, you know, relax after a hard work day. I became a fan of a comedy podcasting network that had several different shows. And I got to know some of them. Again, it was really small at the time. So I reached out. I pitched them on some ways that I could help them grow their network. So I said, Hey, I'd love to volunteer and write blog posts for you. I can interview comedians who are coming through uh, my area on tour and get photos, interviews to help promote the network and promote their shows. And I did a bit of that and found different ways to kind of like work for free to just help support. Cause I really loved what they were doing and wanted to help them grow. Then I came to LA to visit the folks that worked there and kind of talked myself into a job and pitched a role for them full time, got it, and then went home and packed up and moved across country from Jersey to LA. So my first role here was pivoting from newspaper reporting to working at a comedy podcasting network. And everyone there, you know, was very ingrained in comedy and in a specific theater in Los Angeles called the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. One of our podcast hosts was actually one of the founders of that theater. So I knew when I moved here that I'd probably dip my toes in and start taking classes as well. And I did almost immediately. And that's actually how I found a core group of my friends in LA and then have done improv comedy and storytelling for over a decade since moving here. That's so amazing. So I have to ask when you like my first was like, oh my God, how are you so amazing? How do you just know yourself so well? How did you do all those things? When you were little, was comedy and being into, like you were talking about sneaking SNL, is so funny. I remember sitting on the steps listening to Andrew Dice Clay when my parents were watching like HBO specials and just like listening to these stand-ups and being like, this is like, it was just like the highest form of entertainment for me of like human connection because of things that comedians talk about are like the real life situations when you were little and you were doing those things and you were talking about like pitching on the playground and things like that was that something that you felt like people encouraged you to do or was it something that you just loved so much that you didn't care what anyone else thought about it that you were just like this is going to be somehow part of my path in my life 
I think I got a bit of both. I, I loved doing it regardless. So it's just a part of who I am, but I, I have always been pretty quick, uh, I guess, with a comment or what have you. So it was always that push and pull of like, keep it appropriate um, in that setting. But I am someone that c can kind of like come up with ideas very quickly, which helps for improv comedy, especially. So I just really loved exploring that creativity. And I often did get a positive response from that doing, you know, theater as a kid or using those skills uh, in the classroom. So it made, it encouraged me to want to do more of it uh, the older I got. That's awesome. Oh, you just dropped my favorite word because it's actually one of my least favorite words. It's like appropriate. So let's talk about that. This is kind of like, I feel like what you do really well is that balance between corporate and um, humor. So that's the word that comes up for me a lot. That was where my um, imposter syndrome comes up. And so like, whether it's comedy or whether it's so many other things, right? Like when I'm styling women, I always feel like it's always the imposter syndrome of the true self-expression of who we are, right? On how we present ourselves physically. So when you say keep it appropriate for the person who, whether it's comedy, whatever it is, how do you manage that line? And for you, how do you know what's appropriate versus what's not? Because this is where I think people bump up against humor and being like the entertainer versus being the professor and being the teacher um because both are very needed especially like in a content creation world how do you walk that line i believe it's different for every person and the audience you're speaking to as well i think coming from a background in journalism and newspaper reporting and then later working in entertainment journalism where i had to be able to adopt different brand voices. So sometimes when I was writing content, either for social media or online articles, you know, I, I did that for Gannett is a, a newspaper corporation. So that's pretty straight laced, pretty straightforward. And then later I worked at E! News, which has, you know, more of a fun, playful tone, talking about celebrity gossip, et cetera. When I worked at Paramount, I wrote for a few different brands, CBS, TV Guide, and what have you. So it, it kind of taught me how to switch my tone based on what I knew the audience was, what was the age, what kind of content are they looking for? So it helped me really practice still having personality and comedy, but adjusting it based on who I knew the reader and the audience was. And I think that's helped me currently as well, because if you look at LinkedIn or, or content that I do in my corporate job, I can have a little bit of fun, but it might not be the same comedy I would do when I'm on stage uh, at a comedy club in Los Angeles. Uh, not that all, all of my humor is blue humor. I have some stuff that's like this has no obscenities in it. This might be adults only content. Um, but I think it's just walking that line and understanding the audience. A few quick tips that I think are helpful are depending on where you're going to speak. Say you have like a keynote speaking opportunity or, or working with a new client, um, thinking of what is something you'd be comfortable saying in front of like your grandparents or kids or family can often be helpful. Um, you know, still be funny, but no, it works for a more accessible, wider audience. Um, and another thing that has been helpful is I tend to do more self-deprecating humor. So not so much that it would, you know, make people uncomfortable. I think there's a balance there that you want to be funny, but it's not <laughs> bumming people out. But I, I often try not to make other people the butt of my jokes. And I think that's helpful as, as well. I don't want to see that I'm like bullying or dunking on another person. So I think, I think that's something else that puts people at ease when you're doing comedy. 
I love self-deprecating humor. I think it's, I love to use humor as a way to connect with people. And I think when self-deprecating humor just like levels the playing field on, that's just something I think has always uh, been really powerful. So I was thinking about this and I was like, whenever we go on journeys like this, um, well, first let me back up. I love the ones where you class. <laughs> I was watching some of those uh, last week and I was like, this is really funny. Um, so I wanted to dig into that piece a little bit because I agree with you. And sometimes I think this is where people struggle or at least I know like myself and some people in my audience is like, it's always like having this authentic voice being unique to you, but yes, knowing your audience, but where do you find that line of, I am actually really open with my kids. So like things that I would say to my kids, I probably wouldn't say in front of my grandmother. Um, but you know, those, is that really come down to values of like what you value as a person? Um, how do you, you know, like, I guess what my question here is like being authentic to you and staying authentic to you. One of my big things with my kids is I don't want them to ever feel like, especially my daughter, that she can't fully express or say what she's thinking or how she feels. And that's work. I think I'm a little bit older than you as like a Gen Xer. That's the work I'm constantly unraveling is having my voice and not wanting to tailor so much to my audience or really understanding that line a little bit. So how do you navigate like that and authenticity? Like, where does that fall in? One way that I would parallel it is thinking of something like, you know, you mentioned stand-up comedy. Like, I don't know that Andrew Dice Clay was on this circuit, but you'll hear certain... <laughs> But you'll hear certain stand-up comedians talk about different gigs that they'll have where they'll say, you know, I might be doing a comedy club in New York one night and then I get booked by a corporation where I'm speaking at noon in front of a bunch of real estate professionals in Las Vegas or what have you, like talking about different gigs. So, and, and that is a challenge. Essentially, it's like the set that I do Friday night at the bar is different than the set that I do Thursday afternoon at a church. So it, it's finding a way to, how can I still feel like it's me and it's my voice and I'm just tailoring it a little bit based on what that audience is. And that's something that I do when I perform as well. I know you mentioned I have a few stories. I was really fortunate to win two storytelling competitions this year through The Moth, which is a storytelling competition. They're on NPR and, and have a podcast as well. And I was really fortunate to do that. Um, two of them I do use obscenities in. But if, if anyone checks them out online, I think I only use one obscenity in each of those stories. And I actually look at it kind of strategically, which, you know, surprisingly comedy can be a bit strategic and it's something I've learned as well doing improv comedy. Um, so, so sometimes when I have an obscenity choice, it is for a laugh line. So I use it sparingly when I know it will get a laugh, but at the same time, I don't want to do it too much that I'm just like, dropping that just to get easy laughs, if that makes sense. So usually when I'm doing it, it is something where, you know, one of the stories you you mentioned, I won a Moth Grand Slam competition this year. It's a story that has some humor, but at the same time has some heart because it's about going through a fertility journey with my husband and ultimately deciding not to become parents which sounds very heavy. The story gets funny because we talk about one time we're intimate in a very like weird and uncomfortable situation, which is funny. Then it gets a little serious again of we're not going to be parents. And then I use an obscenity toward the end of the story, like as a laugh line. 
And when I did that, it was essentially to relieve the tension in the audience. I knew I'm making everyone laugh. Now they feel a little like sad or heartfelt for me. And they're like, is she okay with how things worked out? And then I, at the end drop, like a salty joke with an obscenity in it to bring it, cut it back around to essentially relieve the tension in the room. And then I have like a nice emotional moment at the end to, to button it up. Um, so I know that sounds very, that's wild how like formulaic comedy can be sometimes, but essentially I look at uh, the cursing as like a little bit here and there strategic. Um, and I don't use it a ton in my daily life just because I'm on zoom calls for a corporate gig. And I did grow up with parents that didn't um, appreciate me using it all the time. So that's why I'm very selective on when I use that language. Uh, no, I love that. I love that formula, formula breakdown of comedy. And it's something that like, I think if you love comedy and you like watch your favorite performers over and over, it's something you can kind of see. And what I love about comedy is like when they always bring it back. And even though, you know, they're going to bring it back, you just never see it coming. And like, that's just the best part. Um, and everything you described was just like, it's, life and it's the human connection and it's i think what i love about comedy it's been on hold both at the same time and i feel like people don't realize that and using that example is a great example um it's so good thank you for breaking that down because i've had that conversation with a lot of people like well how do i balance being me and using that and you know it's kind of like the masks and do we wear masks and do we not and it's authenticity and self-expression and all these things are such a huge piece of businesses small businesses large corporations all of it and it's like how much is too much and how much is just overexpressing versus actually helping move the needle forward in some capacity what is the number one thing that you've learned from it can be improv or storytelling that has changed your life, but that you never saw coming. Speaking of like, you just never see it coming. Like, and like the one benefit that you're like, wow, this is such a fringe benefit from doing stand up that I would have never thought through. I can think of quite a few actually. I think one thing that will come up, and this is just general public speaking, I fortunately am missing the gene where I get embarrassed on stage sharing personal information from my life, which I realize is a unique skill. The more people I meet, as well as improv comedy is um, when you do improv, you just walk on stage with a group of people and you ask the audience, can we get a one word suggestion, please? And then we get it. And then we just start doing stuff. And I, I realize for a lot of people, that's very scary. If you don't have any lines written down or you don't know what's going to happen on stage, so having those experiences um, helped me realize that I already knew public speaking is a fear for many. And I do think there are some tips and tricks people can do to get more comfortable there. But it really sets you up for a lot of opportunities in life when you realize most people in the audience are just so grateful that you're the one on stage because they do not want to be up there. <laughs> so not only does that help when a friend is looking for someone to do a wedding toast and they know you're the only one that I think will be comfortable doing this, but it does help in your day-to-day -day corporate life too. As um, opportunities come up, you know, being on this podcast, if someone has an opportunity to speak on stage or be a part of a panel or anything else, it's just another thing that can open doors for you. If you're, if you are comfortable or can learn to get more comfortable with being in the spotlight and speaking in front of people because so few people want to do it, that it really can open you up to a lot of opportunities if you're willing to learn 
how to do it. So not just doing comedy in my free time, but I've been able to turn that into being someone who raises my hand to volunteer for opportunities like that in my day-to-day work as well. That's awesome. Um, I love that parallel. So most of the women that listen to the show are, are and in the style squad are small business entrepreneurs. So a lot of content creation, right? Which is kind of just the name of the game. I think even if you're not a small business owner, like you were talking about crafting that personal brand, because you will have multiple things and you never know where life is going to take you. How has everything you've learned about comedy? I know I'm really drilling into this, but I can't help it because I love it so much. How has that comedy helped you become a better storyteller, content creator, or maybe they just constantly go back and forth? Can you break that down a little bit for the person who's like, great, I'm glad you guys are funny, but I'm not funny. (laughs) And how am I a better leader? (laughs) Yeah. In a time of injecting more, uh, you know, that there's more AI being talked about online as well, which can be used for things like brainstorming writing ideas and projects. I think it's even more important to find ways to lean into the personality and the unique secret sauce that makes you different than everybody else. So working in journalism to start, you know, it did involve a certain set of skills, but essentially anyone who has the inclination or learns to to be a journalist can often write a straightforward news story, but injecting more of my personality and humor has set me up for other roles that are a little bit different. So my when I went to work for E! News, that was actually one of the few roles I had where I was just a resume in a stack of resumes. I didn't know anyone at the company as a connection. I didn't have any experience working for in entertainment journalism. So that was really one of those, I'm lucky they gave me the call. And I found out later, one of the things that stood out to them was they wanted someone to post on their social media accounts. They saw that I did improv comedy. So they thought, she can probably be a little bit funny and, you know, tongue in cheek and like have fun talking about Kardashians and other red carpet news, etc. So that's what made them reach out to me. And I had to do a writing test of we're going to send you a prompt and you have an hour to write. What are the tweets you would post? What would you put on Facebook, etc. And I got the chance to present news, but in a funny, unique take. And that was an example of this is just a way to essentially show your personality. Everyone who did that writing test probably had a very different take because humor is a little different for everybody. Um, And that's what made me stand out for that role. And I think there are other opportunities to do that as well. So if you're a solopreneur, whether it's on your social media posts, your website landing page, or if you're going and speaking at a retreat in front of other people, showing your own personal story, whether that's humor or just being really transparent about your journey with other people is what makes you memorable and stand out. Otherwise, it sounds like a story that hundreds of other people have. So you need to inject those little nuggets that make people identify with you and understand you and want to work with you. I want, we have to talk about E-News and I have to talk about Ashanti and I'm not going to let the celebrity piece of this go. But I have a couple other questions I want to get to you before we go there. Um, So you saying that and what I hear as being someone who felt really disconnected from myself at certain points in my life, do people come to you often and say like, you seem like you know yourself so well, like you seem like you've really figured out the curiosities that make up Julia. Do people come to you, whether it's in the workplace, friends, family, like maybe even people at the improv and say, how did you know, or how do you know what your secret sauce is? Like, how did you know 
to do these things. Does that happen to you a lot? I have had that on occasion. And I think it's something that I can't, uh, you know, stand forward and say that I've I fully know myself and won't change over time because I'm still a human being like everyone else. But I, I believe there are certain exercises you can do to just dig into that a bit more of what you're comfortable sharing. Um, I think it's helpful if you decide you're going to incorporate more storytelling in the work that you do to sit down and understand what you are comfortable having being in front of a public audience and what you don't want to be in front of a public audience. Because I recognize even that moth example I used earlier is not something that everyone would be comfortable sharing publicly. I like to dive into some more vulnerable moments, embarrassing moments, personal moments from my life because I think it's humanizing. And I like to stand in front of people and say, not everyone talks about this, but this happened to me and now I can laugh about it. And hopefully that makes other people feel scene of, oh my gosh, I've been there. And I I do have quite a few stories where after I share it on stage, someone will come up and say, oh my gosh, that happened to me too. I tried to make a new friend and they ghosted me and I was so embarrassed or whatever, you know, so they'll, they'll come up and I'll hear it resonates, but that's not something that everyone's comfortable with, especially, you know, depending on your family, loved ones, what your day job is that you need to sit down and essentially have your set values. I think that you're familiar with, like, what are your core values and what are you comfortable sharing? And what do you always want to keep private? And the better you understand that it can help you decide what stories you want to put out there. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I've been examining that as a podcaster, like I could sit here and I could talk to you about all the ways I've failed at everything and crying, uh, losing my job and getting fired over Zoom and like all of those things. And it wasn't until recently when I was like, you know, people are like, you should post more personal stuff about like your families. Um, the conversation of race has come up and a lot of people don't realize that we're an interracial family. And in my mind, I'm like, how do you not know this? Like it's who I am, right? Because I lived this. And it's not that I don't promote the interracial side of my family. I just, my family time is really sacred and special. And it's not that I don't want to share it with anybody. It's just like, that's the one thing that I inadvertently had just like kept out of the podcast. It's like, we can talk about me and my shortcomings and my mental gremlins all day long, right? But I don't like talk that much about like my experience as a mom or those kind of things. Um So it's really interesting is I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. And so someone had pointed that out to me. So like what you'd said around like sitting down with your values and like, what am I willing to share? What don't I want to share? And it doesn't have to, in my case, it's not because I'm an extremely private person because I don't think I am. It was just like, well, this isn't about them. This is also just a space that's for me. And uh, as a mom, that's something I've always worked on is like, who am I outside of being a mom? Because I didn't identify as that wasn't one of my goals as a little girl. I was like, oh, I'm going to grab one. Um, that's, everyone's got their story around that. So that's a really cool way to think about it, though, is like getting clear on what you want to identify. Like, what do you want to share? What don't you want to share based on the totality of everything? So bringing it full circle, because you are just such an interesting person, Julia. And the more I dive in, the more I'm like, God, um, it's so fascinating. So I have to just ask him those like fun, rapid fire, silly questions. What was the coolest thing about working at E? The coolest thing about working at E is that you never know what your day your day is going to look like. That's kind of journalism in general. Same with the newspaper, but with E, it's a little more fun than <laughs> crime and government coverage. Is 
<laughs> you show up and you don't know what you're going to write about that day. You don't know if Kim and Kanye flew off to Italy to get married or if uh, there's a new royal baby or a big celebrity couple got together or broke up, what have you. So you show up every day just and then you you find out what the news cycle is going to be and you take it from there. So there's not a lot of pre-planning other than specific big red carpets. So that always made it very exciting. Of You don't know what's going to come up and you just have to very quickly dive in to be able to share that news. But also you want to be able to do it responsibly and accurately. So you do have to balance that nature of we want a fully reported story that we stand by, but also in the internet culture you're also trying to get out there as quickly as possible but that made it very exciting that there were some moments or days where okay i'm up at three in the morning because prince william is having his first child with kate middleton or what have you and you're working on that and then a few hours later you're doing something totally different which made it exciting why do you think people are obsessed with celebrities and then why do you think people love to hate celebrities I believe it's changed over time as well. Obviously, the internet has given us more of an insight into their lives because they can't quite craft branding in the same way. It's changed over time. People can still create an image, but we we see them a lot more than just in a tabloid at the end of a, a supermarket aisle. And all of the celebs are also on social media too, so they can share things in real time directly with their audiences. I look at it as a bit of escapism and fun. You know, like I like when I want to hang out on a weekend, I'll read like a chick lit novel where it's, you know, a woman met a secret prince and now they have to fall in love, you know? And so it's just kind of like escapist fun to be able to look at these people are really beautiful. They live glamorous lives that are different than mine. And you can kind of live vicariously through that, which makes it, interesting and fun to see that. And I think in some ways it has changed over time. Sometimes there is some fatigue online. And I believe that's one of the reasons is just fatigue. So if you see a lot of someone, it seems like the internet seems to get sick of people and go through cycles. Uh, At the same time, people can't always go through a publicist. So they might post something online quickly without thinking of the ramifications of what happens when a wider audience sees that. And I, I can't identify with that. In some ways, you know, it's it's good when things are exposed, but at the same time, it's you feel really bad that people can't pull that back. So kind of coming back to those core values, it does make it important to know, am I comfortable sharing my children, my background, this part of my life? Because, you, you know, if you're famous, you're really opening up for everyone to weigh in on yeah. that. Um, And that's challenging too, because now all of the audience also has an outlet. You're not just buying a magazine and reading it. You can also, you can be online giving your take, quote unquote. So everyone has an opinion about what's going on. So you do know that there will be comments and feedback. And oftentimes people who are like, I'm funny, I'm just going to roast or, you know, in some ways even bully or troll this person. So I, I certainly don't, envy it (laughs) Um, it's difficult but uh i you know there's people that i really enjoy following online because i think they're fun and funny you talked about linkedin even snoop dogs on linkedin now and he's always a really fun celebrity to to follow and if there's someone that i don't really want to see a lot of content from i don't have feedback i just don't follow them um and wish them them all the best. Uh, I've been fortunate to meet a couple famous people over the years through a few of the different jobs I've had. And they're just normal people like us. Obviously, some of them are a little 
they haven't been a member of the general public in a while, so they might have a different way of seeing the world. But for the most part, a lot of them are just normal people and they just really like lucked out and shot to, to fame. And I, you know, don't um, take any pleasure in um, dunking on someone when they're having a tough moment. Yeah, I wanted to ask you that question about, um, well, I have to say quickly that you telling me that Snoop Dogg was on LinkedIn is the highlight of this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have a Snoop on the stoop this year. Like my daughter has an elf on the shelf and then we have a teenager in high school and, um, you know, he feels kind of disengaged from some of the holiday activities that we've been doing with our youngest. So I got him to Snoop on the stoop. So Snoop Dogg has been a huge conversation in our house over the last couple of weeks. So that will just be something fun to take back to the family after this. So thank you for that nugget, Julia. Um, I agree. Like I love celebrity news because I think the same thing for me, it's just fun. Um, And that's how I see fashion and style too, is like, Life can be so hard and it can be so many things. And there are these things that are fun and not everything has to be serious and not, I mean, it, it can be turned into something that can infuse you to feel amazing and do better work seriously. Um, But sometimes, you know, it's just fun. And if we just don't take, it's just a reminder to not take things so seriously, in my opinion. Um, So that being said, you mentioned that you've got to hang out and meet all these different celebrities and different things like that through your jobs. You had posted recently on LinkedIn about having a podcast as you used to host and you got to meet Ashanti and I'm sure other um, celebrities. Who's been like one of your favorite celebrities to me that you were like, man, this person is so cool. And we could just like hang out and be, <laughs> we can be friends as adults. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I, I'll think of a, a few. One that was I wouldn't necessarily we say we'd hang out, but I think if I had to look over the years, the one that was the most exciting interaction um, was Richard Simmons, which is a a random choice. Not necessarily the most famous or the most you know sweating to the oldies. Like he, he's been around for a long time, but I met him a, a number of years ago when I worked at in comedy podcasting. He was a guest on the network, and he was such a, a ray of light. When he came into the room, so warm to everyone, so excited to be there, like exactly who you would think he is when you watch things, which granted is partly like he's essentially become the the character and the the person, the celebrity that he's embodied. But that was one that when he left, everyone just had the biggest smile on their face who had met him. He hugged me. He asked me about my mom. He's never met my mom. He just had like this really wonderful energy. So that was just a really fun one of, oh, that's so great that as he meets people who have heard of him, he he embodies like exactly what you want him to be. And that's kind of how I felt when I saw um, Jeff Goldblum a a couple of years ago too. He's someone that was out and about and was like, he's exactly, you know, granted he was on quote unquote, like he was doing a jazz show. So he was ready to meet fans. He's not just grocery shopping and getting tapped on the shoulder or anything, but he's like exactly what you wanted him to be and what you would think. So that's always exciting. Um, But I think in terms of most accessible Usually, usually comedians are the people I resonate with the most because I think to be a comic, I think another thing that's always appealed to me about comedians and I like working with them is you can't be too like out of touch or out of it. Like you have to be really plugged into the culture to be able to make fun of it and like analyze your own life and talk about it on stage it's something you kind of notice the more famous a comedian gets. I think there's probably a challenge there of 
I live in a mega mansion now and I have a very different life, but I still need content that the general public can identify with, which is why people like Jerry Seinfeld still find ways to talk about. I'm just going to talk about what it's like, you know, being a dad, being that, like talk about things people can identify with. Cause obviously we can't all identify with what it's like to be a multimillionaire. Um, so I think that's something I've always appreciated about comedians is they really have to be on the pulse of society and know what's going on. Um, and coming back to the Christmas podcast, it was a pleasure meeting. Um, I met Jody Sweeten and interviewed her on the show a few years ago. She was on Full House, which I watched in my younger years as well. So it was neat to meet someone I had been a fan of and then get to be in the interviewer seat with them. And we were just, you know, we're like similar ages, interests, et cetera. So it was someone of like, oh, I could totally see us just being in like the same friend group, you know? Um, so she seemed very, um, down to earth and easy to chat with as well. That's awesome. Who's your favorite comedian? Ooh, that's really hard. Um, <laughs> when you were talking, I was like, Oh yeah. Like I love when Dave Chappelle talks about just like living in Ohio. Cause it's not like a fancy state. It's not like a state. It's like not New York or LA or Miami. He's probably my favorite. Yeah, th- this is a cop out because I'm I'm struggling to think of like a current favorite for stand up. But when I think of like a co- a storied career, a few I would come back to are like a Betty White or a Mel Brooks and things that I you know Betty White has unfortunately passed. Mel Brooks is still with us and you know has had a very long career. But when I look at some comedians like that, the thing that I love about them is they found a way to sometimes push the envelope on their content. But still, everyone has wonderful things to say about them. Like you were talking about using obscenities in your comedy earlier. Like Betty White would do that. And then people, everyone still loves her. So you, they, they found a way to push the envelope at times with jokes, but people still like them. And I think the ability to make people laugh and um, to be able to do that for decades and still be super sharp toward the end of your life and end of your career just seems like a really wonderful gift. And I hope to be so fortunate. Um, So it seems really great to be able to change with the times, like do comedy in the fifties, do comedy in the two thousands and still be relevant and fun and cool. And people love you. And that just really seems like the dream. That's amazing. Um, It's funny because I don't ever think of Betty White as a comedian, but uh, yes, absolutely. Right. It's part of the draw. Awesome. Thank you so much for letting me get in there and ask you all those interesting questions, sharing your story with us. I think it's an amazing story. Um, So thanks for letting me showcase you and your story and um, sharing all things comedy gold. But I have to say like your eyeliner is so on point. So thanks for gifting me that today too. My pleasure. That's it. You know, people listening don't know it's early in the morning on the West coast, but I, I woke up, I was like, I'm chatting with Katie I got to put on some cat eye for her this morning. So even though the listeners can't see it, just know um, <laughs> this is, I like, I like to do a little cat eye for the, the video calls every day. It gives me a little bit of joy. Well, I am going to use this on YouTube if you're okay with that. So they will get to see it. For it. <laughs> Perfect. They will get to see it. I have to tell you a quick, funny story behind the scenes on that inside of my style community. I like to play games and do fun stuff. And I created this bingo card and as an icebreaker. And I was like, here's all these things, right? Like, and whoever's going to get bingo first can, will win this week's or this month's uh, giveaway, et cetera, et cetera. And one of them was, can do the perfect cat eye. 
And it was so funny because what I didn't anticipate in my mind, I was like, it was like, do the perfect cat eye has a band tee, uh, owns a belt or like, you know, thing listens to a fashion podcast. It's like, if you listen to mine, it's going to be a freebie. Right. And, um, so I had these like backup trivia questions and what I didn't anticipate was that no one could get the bingo. And it was the cat eye that was like stopping everybody from the bingo. And I was like, so as soon as you popped on, I was like full circle moment, Katie. (laughs) Well, bringing it back to comedy as well since you pointed it out in addition to changing, you know, how, how far do I go with my comedy, depending on the audience? I do the same with the cat eye today. I have a big meeting at work. So I have a little bit more of like just a little conservative cat eye, but if I'm going out on a Saturday night, the cat eye grows. I love that. (laughs) It depends on the, it depends on it's seven in the morning. Now, small cat eye, 7 PM, bigger cat eye. I love that. And that's saying true to yourself, right? Because the cat eye is Julia. It just depends on <laughs> what cat eye we're getting today. I love that. Thank you so much for blessing us with your genius and your humor. It was amazing. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And if anyone would love to connect, you're welcome to find me on LinkedIn or the other socials. And thanks so much for your time. Yes. And if you're in LA, check out some of the stories, the stand-ups. You're always talking about those on LinkedIn. And um, yes, I secretly wish I was in LA next time I'm there. I'm going to have to DM you and we will connect. Yes, please. Awesome. Thank you.